0: everybody. This is Claudia Shambaugh, your host of Ask a Leader. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, or the California Board of Regents. You're listening to Ask a Leader, and this is the February 17, 2015 edition. Attorneys Frank Barbaro and Frank Lunding in the thick of some unsettling investigations, We'll examine the influence of some very dark money upon Irvine's 2012 mayoral election. Also, we'll hear from Astria Suparek, an artist and curator from Los Angeles, California, who's curated the recently opened exhibition Alien She at the Orange County Museum of Art. The exhibition runs through May 24th. It's wall-to-wall politics today. Don't go away. We'll be right back after the station break. Welcome back to the show. Well, the other shoe drop for those of you who are wondering about what kind of hidden hands were involved in the last lapse of the 2012 Irvine mayoral election, more shoes may very well drop. It may be two years ago, but the scenario bodes for future campaign prospects, which need the coverage. Since uh, I, I'll hasten to add this this particular development was buried in the lead, it was carried in the L.A. Times pilot Friday supplement, page four, buried, I'm saying. So diligently working on this detail are my first guests, Frank Barbero and Frank Lunding, veteran attorneys in the field of election fraud. Frank Barbera, by day, a trial lawyer, served as the chair of the Chicago Democratic Party and later chaired the Orange County Democrats up until his resignation in 2012. He completed both his undergraduate and law degrees at USC. Frank Barbero is the complainant in the case about which we shall talk. My other guest is Frank Lunding himself, a business lawyer and a publisher. He filed Frank Barbero's case before the Federal Political Practices Commission. He served as a Republican chair of the Illinois State Board of Elections till the late 70s in his ongoing involvement in preventing election fraud and recruiting poll watchers. He completed his undergraduate degree at Yale and his law degree at UC Berkeley's Bolt Law School. Commuting and work and life between Monterey and Orange County, Frank Lunding comes to us today from Monterey. Frank Barbero comes to us today from Santa Ana and back from the living dead of a flu. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Frank Barbero and Frank Lunding.
1: Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Do you guys want to say something to each other?
1: (laughs) Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Frank.
0: (laughs) We'll we'll make sure Frank B. and Frank L. are really clearly distinguished here. So, Houston, we have a problem here, and it looks to be hovering. Two elections ago, the Irvine mayoral race was thrown a curve in the final lapse of the campaign by an infusion of $200,000 donated by a string of entities and individuals that took a good deal of time and effort to ascertain. We know about how the U.S. Supreme Court Citizens United decision opened the donation floodgates, but California still has laws that require disclosure. Frank and Frank, tell us about what the law requires in California and what the Federal Political Practices Commission found was a violation of that in our fair city of Irvine.
1: Well, let me begin. This is Frank Barbero, and it is our belief that the uh, California law is very clear. And that is, and it was passed by the legislature as well as the people. We are entitled to know who is paying for this political literature and political verbiage that we're hearing on the radio and television, and we're not hearing about it. We're the the uh, in this particular instance, the the Republicans have found a method to avoid having to tell us who is actually paying for these for these political campaigns. And that's, in my opinion, very, very, very much against not only the spirit, but the letter of the state law.
0: Frank? Frank Lunding.
1: Well, yes. Uh, in, in this particular case,
2: uh, it, the result of uh, hiding the donations uh, can be um, uh, highlighted. Here, uh, in the particular case that Frank Barbero filed the complaint about, involves... A $200,000 donation from a uh, 501c4 not for profit corporation located in Virginia. Allegedly, that uh, um, uh, gave $200,000 to another committee here in California called California Term Limits.
0: Well, before that, the committee before that was. Citizens in charge. So that's That's sort of the beginning, and they had a very general purpose of just. um, I'm blocking here. Uh, The very general purpose of term limits.
2: They they are interested in uh, in supporting term limits legislation throughout the country. That's their that's their alleged purpose, Uh, and. They um, decided to give uh, this $200,000 to a uh, California uh, committee called California Term Limits. The committee is run by John Fleischman, who is a uh, uh, a local political operative uh, of the Republican Party and a member of the Central Committee of Orange County Republican Party. Uh, Okay. He turned around and took that $200,000 and used it to... Um, to uh, to defeat uh, Larry Agron, a, a candidate for mayor of Irvine, in force in and in, in, in favor of the present mayor Choi, uh, that uh, Mayor Choi won the election. Uh, the uh, uh, result of that change was to give the Mayor Choi and his two uh, associates. Tina Shea, and Jeff Lalloway, on the, a majority on the city council. And they, in turn, turned around and uh, uh, approved a 10,000-unit uh, development uh, at the Great Park, which was opposed by uh, Larry Agron and uh, and his group.
0: Well, they, they did a number of things. They were aggressively trying to... Uh, Retool the whole budget they sort of went at it from the gun shooting pointing uh from the very beginning of their uh the session that they were became in the majority in and then uh by the end of that year uh were able to work on some entitlements for the developer uh, uh, after having restructured the whole great park leadership uh so it's it was all it was a great deal leading up to that final uh, entitlement for those uh, dwelling units in around at the Great Park and control of the actual Great Park. So if you both could lay out for us, what was the timeline with, uh, and we must hasten to say here, Stephen Choi had only $60,000 in his campaign coffers. So could you lead us through the timing of how that $2,000 egg in the snake, uh, what, when and how uh, it started to move basically Based on the kind of diligent work you've done, uh, the forensic work on um, that at that time period.
1: Well, you know, the the great majority of the forensic work was accomplished by Frank Lunding, so I'm going to turn that first question over to him, if you don't mind.
2: Yes, I can. Uh, uh, the uh, as indicated, uh, just so um, uh, it's clear, the, uh, the com- Frank Barbero's complaint was filed with the uh, California for political practices commission which was set up to uh, and part of their responsibilities is to uh, investigate whether or not the campaign disclosure laws have been violated and the campaign disclosure laws clearly indicate that you must disclose the source of the funds going into campaigns in uh... uh the uh, in the summary of facts that they have uh, the, the, the they have acted in this matter, and, this, and uh, on Thursday, if the commission decides they're going to hear the stipulation that has been entered into by uh, the, some parties and uh, the parties to this action, and uh, uh, will be entering some penalties. Um, what uh, what they have discovered, uh, based upon Frank Barbero's complaint, was that uh, in uh, August of uh,
0: 2012,
2: okay. Uh, uh, um John Fleischman asked the uh, president of Citizens in Charge which is the committee in Virginia for a donation uh Fleischman, allegedly uh John Fleischman told uh, the uh, Citizens in Charge people that the money would be used towards the goal of improving the initiative and referendum process in California uh as a result of that request, in, in, in August of uh, 2012, um, the Citizens in Charge people, uh, led by their, a fellow by the name of Paul uh, Jacob, uh, asked a, uh, donate, uh, a man by the name of Howard Rich in Philadelphia to make a $200,000 donation to Citizens in Charge, which he apparently did. Uh, and then on August 27th, Uh, Well, August 27th, Rich uh, gave the $200,000 to uh, Citizens in Charge. On that same day, Citizens in Charge sent a check to John Fleischman's committee uh, for the $200,000. And Fleischman then received the funds, reported receiving them on the 5th of September, and on on less than a week later, he started spending the funds to support or defeat uh, Larry Agron, uh, support Choi, Mayor um, Choi, and defeat Larry Agron. And uh, the timing clearly indicates that uh, there was something going on there in terms of uh, information being transferred between the, the parties. However, uh, it's clear citizens in charge did not disclose the name of Howard Rich as the donator of those funds. Uh, and Howard Rich happens to be a very uh, wealthy developer in Philadelphia and New York. Um, and uh, there is no indication as to uh, why he would uh, make such a donation and whether he intended the funds to be used in the Irvine mayoral election. And that, But that investigation is still ongoing with the uh, uh, California Practices Commission.
0: And it's critical at the time and the magnitude we're talking about sixty thousand dollars on hand in the campaign, two hundred thousand comes in, and as you said that this the, the disclosure was lacking. I mean, you could you two knew how to look at what is filed with the Orange County uh, Registrar of Voters. Actually, no, these are filed with the city clerk. These uh, expenditures and uh, for the campaigns, That's uh, correct. Right. So you knew how to look for that, but you were getting a pretty uh, uh, the trail was going dead pretty quickly, so uh, you weren't sure where it was. what wh- who was all involved? So uh, you, but you were tracking this a, a good deal after the election had taken uh, place, though. Correct?
2: Oh yes. Uh,
0: so it already happened.
2: Oh, it already happened, and uh, uh, the issue is what the voters would have done had they known that uh, this money was coming from, uh, from a de- big developer in Philadelphia and. Would want to obviously know why? Why would they? Uh, why was it important to to hide uh, the fact that uh, this Howard Rich was making this donation? Uh, there, clearly, there there was a lot more to this than the uh, than the filings and the and the complaints that uh, have been are going to be heard on uh, on uh, Thursday by the commission. By the way, the staff has recommended that uh, there be. Fines of approximately $15,000 entered against Howard Rich and citizens in charge for his action. That's
1: the maximum they can. Which is, uh, Claudia, which is, in my opinion, a slap in the hand for basically spiriting in $200,000 and impacting the outcome of that election. This is
0: Frank Barbero speaking here.
1: Yeah, just it's absurd. Uh, When I I saw this $200,000, I said, where did that come from? And we started looking. There was no way to tell. This money had been laundered through, you know, another state and then through a couple of uh, committees. And suddenly it appears in the campaign in Irvine, and the money is used for possibly the ugliest materials that I have ever seen being distributed in a campaign.
0: Well, I do want to put a face on that. I remember that to this day I received the mail. I'm a registered voter in Irvine. This isn't about me, folks. It's just uh, the uh, explicit quality that it, it was a flyer for uh, on behalf of Stephen Choi that implicated Larry Agron in enabling pedophiliacs to, to uh, have uh, unfettered access to uh, the parks around the city. I mean, and it was a grainy, dark kind of a brochure. And that brochure was about on the schedule for when that new funding was released. And when you get that much funding, you can pretty much blanket the city with your literature.
1: Well, that's the problem with these independent expenditures, Claudia. The the, the issue really, this is where all the dirty work is done, because they can't say it, it was Stephen Choi's campaign or that he endorsed it or anything. So you can say just about anything you want, and throw it up there against the wall and hope that the voters are going to believe that uh, Mr. Agron was encouraging uh, uh, pedophilia acts in the local parks. I mean, it's just crazy. And that's the kind of stuff that they use these independent expenditure committees for, because Choi wouldn't be able to defend that.
0: Yes. So for those of you who've Um, just tuned in. You're listening to Ask a Leader here on Radio KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, where my guests are Frank Barbero and Frank Lunding, complainant and investigator respectively of the case filed against the Federal Political Practices Commission concerning funds known as dark money paid to uh, on behalf of Irvine Mayor Stephen Choi's 2012 campaign. And we're talking about the $200,000 where a fine, uh, where a Apparently, libertarian Howard Rich was uh, admitted to his wrongdoing. The fine for this uh, $200,000 contribution was $14,000 and maybe another smaller fine. But as I see it in perspective, this is just the $14,000 is a very small extra political contribution. So I'd like to know where is there a disincentive for handling this um, this kind of dark money, dark money of even more money amounts?
1: Well, it seems to me that the FPPC and the state of California and the attorney general really need to enforce the uh, will of the voters and force disclosure of the sources of these monies that are being used for political uh, talk. I mean, that's we're entitled to know who is putting this stuff out about uh, pedophilia and Larry Agron and city parks what the source of that material is, and who's saying it. We never knew.
0: And are you um, getting a little peek under the sheets for the 2014 round? That was uh, n- uh, not much cleaner. I mean, it started earlier. So are you? Sus- what do you suspect uh, you're going to find out uh, were you to pursue this 2014 round?
1: Well, as you know, we're not done with this uh, current investigation. Yes. And there may be more heads that fall, and I'm sure there will be. But the problem is this. They have designed a technique through which they can bring in this dark money and do whatever they want. And if, in fact, the $200,000 resulted in only a $14,000 fine, that's 7%. That's a, you know pretty cheap way uh, of... Uh, Basically, building that cost into doing your dirty work.
0: Now, Frank, uh, you two are extremely distinguished attorneys, and and invigorated uh, efforts here to to seek out the fraud in in um, the political process. I I, I just want to advise against our using the word they. We want to put the label on they, so we're not a- acting uh, sounding uh, powerless here in the face of this kind of stuff. That the they are exactly those with. A lot of money to throw, campaign, uh, camp, throw political outcomes. I mean, I want us to sort of be a little more specific than the they out there because this is too classy an act.
2: <laughs> Go ahead, Frank. <clears throat> well, the they here is. Uh, this is Frank Lunding. This is Frank Lunding. Yes, um, the day we're using here in this particular complaint is uh, uh, um, John Fleischman, the and the uh, they were very. Republican Party in this particular instance was very uh, uh, instrumental uh, in the election of Mayor Choi, uh, and Jeff Lalloway was congratulated for running a, what a great campaign for Mayor Choi, um, and uh, uh, he's a very good friend and a, a fellow member of the uh, on the uh, Republican Central Committee
0: for the county. What
2: uh, for the county with uh, with uh, John Fleischman interrelated here and uh, so uh, what we're trying to do is ferret out those people who were involved in this particular this particular complaint to uh, to uh, be sure that they receive their, their uh, the appropriate penalty now of course not only are there the FPPC is able to find them. Sure. Um, Citizens in charge, a not for profit corporation, and the one. 501c4s. 501c4s in, uh, in Wisconsin to, uh, to uh, assist uh, Governor Walker there in his uh, problems of facing recall and other elections. So uh, successfully. And they have uh, the Wisconsin authorities have uh, gone so far now as to have uh, uh, searched O'Keeffe's and others houses grab their computers in order to try to search down this dark money that went into Wisconsin. Uh, so this is not a necessarily only a California problem, but it, the, the stacking of not-for-profit corporations to hide donors' funds is, uh, is one method that now is being used to, uh, to hide the names of donors. Now, it's... Howard Rich here is an interesting donor and, uh, and the questions of why he would be interested in making this donation and why they felt necessary to hide his name is, is uh, something that somebody, the authorities have to find out, I think. But there, there are other possibilities uh, in other elections, uh, such as uh, foreign governments and foreign uh, citizens uh, could try to make contributions. And since those are illegal under federal law, they, uh, they would, could use this procedure, as well as others who, uh, who obviously uh, don't want their names revealed.
0: So I want to I appreciate the Wisconsin case study. It does tell us that how much we have at risk and how much is in play right now. I just want to walk back a little bit when you were talking about various, uh, there was a majority we'll call it a partisan majority, Republican majority created on the city council in Irvine in 2012. There's such a supermajority now, there's a four to one. We know that this stacking of money laundering benefited others in 2012. And I dread knowing, but we must know what happened with financing for this 2014 outcome with the supermajority that has its own procedural aspect where the four to one vote can determine an emergency agenda item and therefore not have a public de- a announcement in advance of a city council meeting that there will be a vote. So the public is really removed from participating in the business of the city. So this supermajority, perhaps supported by more secret money later uh, in the 2014 election, is, is something that looms and why we will not bring this up. So um I wanted both of you to tell us it, it wasn't a very public meeting. It was an a Orange County a Central Republican Committee meeting where the connection between donors and candidates was confirmed. I just want to have, give you a chance to specifically say how, how that was publicly acknowledged so we're not going to be painted into a conspiracy and over-suspect um, over kind of corner.
1: Go ahead, Frank. I, th- there was some thank yous that were presented at the Republican Central Committee to various people for helping raise the money. Frank Lending? Uh, yes. Well,
2: in the 2012, the, uh, uh, the Republican Party at their at their meeting thanked various people, including uh, Congressman Campbell at the time, uh, a federal congressman. And there was uh, some, uh, uh, and they've Clearly, thanked Jeff Lolloway, who allegedly ran Choi's campaign. They publicly thanked him uh, as a great leader in doing that. Both Choi and the Central Committee uh, thanked him.
1: Um, it's in, it's in their minutes, Claudia, okay. of the, yeah. the Republican yeah. Central Committee as to who yeah. was thanked and for this go yeah. for this money. They
2: publicly uh, acknowledged minutes uh, of their meeting in uh, January of 2013 interestingly enough going to 2014's election yes. uh, for the city the uh, mayor choi who ran again and uh, and jeff Lalloway, who was running right they reported very small amounts of money that were uh, that they spent personally to uh, to get themselves reelected the funds that there the, the were independent funds used by various committees that uh, who made allegedly made Independent expenditures. Now, where those committees got their funds, it appears that a majority of those funds that fall somewhere between $700,000 and a million dollars came from developers, primarily Five Point Communities, which is a, uh, uh, the developer of the Great Park home sites, and uh, uh, who uh, uh, owns. Property around the around the Great Park, uh, and that's an awful lot of money to defeat Larry Agron in this present campaign, also. Uh, and but we haven't been able. We're we're tracing that all the way back as best we can.
0: Okay. Uh,
2: so this issue isn't over, but it would be. Uh, it would seem to me that the average voter in Irvine would like to know where the money's coming from to spend uh, to to elect. The people are presently there.
0: Well, it's it's important because there are certain ways that uh, Larry Agron is disparaged, and I think there is much to disparage in the kind of dark money uh, participation of special interests in the municipal election. I think that would make the uh, voter and gen- voters in general uh, understand that there's a bigger balance sheet than certain issues that they take issue with. With Larry Agron versus um, these other well-heeled but under-off-the-radar kinds of financial support, so I, the, I want to wrap it all the way up here. With that, we we have a a hydra-headed kind of creature where where one funding might be uh, disclosed, but there will be other opportunities. So, what do you suggest would help the everyday voter, the general public, to feel a little bit more empowered to react to this kind of uh, financial groundswell of dark money, bar- dark support?
1: Well, I believe, this is Frank again, Barbaro. Barbaro. I, I just I believe that it is important that every individual that receives uh, mail or any type of political missive uh, is informed as to who paid for it. In other words, who are the people that had the interest to pay for this? Once that is revealed, people will see what hat the uh, provocateur, if you will, is wearing. And once we find out who is making these allegations, I believe that it requires some investigation because this is absolutely uh, the most misleading things I've ever seen.
0: Right, right. So uh, I think the takeaway I want to leave everybody with here for as we wrap up the show here, this part of the show, is that they – would be behooved to reach Attorney General Kamala Harris. There, um, uh, is there a Federal Political Practices Commission link that we can put up on the podcast summary so people have it as easy as they can to make the appeal to the powers that be that that the oversight is wanting and uh, we we won't handle we won't tolerate this any longer.
1: Well, I believe the people should get a hold of Kamala Harris and the FPPC. Uh, and just let them know that they demand th- this information. And by the way, uh, in speaking with the attorney general that is handling this matter, he said they're not done. They're still investigating. There, er, There's additional materials that they're evaluating, and they think that more companies, more PACs, and more individuals will become involved.
0: But I'm concerned about as this forensic work continues, we have the influence – peddling now. We're the, policy decisions, irreversible policy decisions are being made. It's difficult to, to watch this process unfold knowing that we, we've got work cut out for us to understand what happened in 2012. 2014 just happened and how we are going to guard against uh, deepening transgressions occurring in the next election cycles. And we can wrap up with that <laughs> unwieldy uh, comment from both of you.
1: Well, I believe that it's important. Uh, this is Frank Barbell. You know, yeah, I, I believe that it's important that the people find out who is paying for this. I also think that people need to recognize what has resulted. It has been a complete reversal in the leadership uh, power in Irvine. And now, if you take a look at all the sweetheart deals that are being made, all of the things that uh, were reversed by this new council majority and all of the things that are being promulgated by this new council majority, it's real clear that uh, the business interests are the ones that are benefiting.
0: Yes, and the uh, opportunities looking for putting now kinds of uh, honorary uh, labels on public institutions like the the library. Stay tuned. We might... Cover that later on, but um, it it is it has a large large impact. So I'm entreating the public to watch this. I I think the other thing I would like to do uh, is suggest is how people might write letters to the editor to take that lead that was buried in the pilot section of the L.A. Times, put that up in the editorial page in the main section and urged the Times Mirror Corporation, uh, Tribune Corporation, to make it a much larger profile in their investigative work, and and the, the, the Register possibly, too.
1: Well, the Register led the charge earlier. Right. They, they did a major article on all of this when they heard about the complaint that had been filed.
0: That was when, when the, they covered that.
1: That was about a year
2: ago. Just a year.
0: Okay.
1: Yes, it was a
2: year ago. Okay. Plus that uh, that happened, and they uh, they laid it out very carefully. Uh, they did a very fine job on the on the article, uh, but hopefully the the investigation is continuing because the only there are two things that can be done here. One is to get the information to the voters and have them act on it. It isn't enough just to have them say, "Well, this is bad money." They have to go out and vote accordingly. Right. Uh, and which didn't happen in 2014 at all. People just didn't turn out to vote.
0: That's the other problem. Not it's not a matter of being an informed voter, but a participatory voter. Those are both (laughs) those both have to happen. Well, I I have to say that's all the time we have. I want to thank you both, Frank Lending and Frank Barbero, for coming on the show today. Your vigilance and your diligence—it's a public good for which we should all be grateful.
1: Well, it's been our pleasure.
0: Okay, and I may want to have you back because there's more disclosure coming, and I want to keep on this because that's what community radio is charged with, is covering what's not getting covered elsewhere. So my guests are Frank Barbero and Frank Lundig, lifting the veil on campaign finance locally and a bit beyond. Okay, so thanks, guys, for being on.
1: Well, thank you for having us.
0: So we're going to take a short break, and after that we'll talk with Astria Suparek, co-curator of the Orange County Museum of Art Exhibition entitled A. Chi. Don't go away. We'll be right back. No wonder the butters are shilling a pound See the rich farmer's daughters have a ride up and down You ask them the reason they cry all oh, alas, there's a war on in France And the cows have no grass. Singing honesty's all out of
2: fashion these are the rigs of the time, timey boys. These
0: are the rigs of the time. Thank you, everybody, for staying with us. That was the Sport of Tricks, Rigs of the Time. I just knew that would pair well with the, the previous topic. Well, it's my pleasure to be back on this uh, show with you. We're keeping it political with my next guest, Astria so, she's, you are the co-curator of the Orange County Museum of Art exhibition entitled Alien She, the focus of today's interview. Alien She is the first exhibition highlighting uh, the lasting impact of the pioneer punk feminist movement Riot Girl on today's artists and cultural proceedings. Uh, producers. The exhibition focuses on seven contemporary artists, and you'll see them there at ACMA. They're working in a wide range of disciplines, including visual art, music, documentary film, new media, writing, and performance. And uh, something for everybody, as I always like to say when we're covering the fine arts here, provides a view into the passion and diversity of the original Riot Girl movement. On this detail is curator Astria Suparek, whose breathless resume includes curated exhibitions, screening performances, and live music events for art spaces, film festivals, and academic venues internationally, including, and these are really cool, listen in everybody, the Kitchen, IBEAM PS1, I think that's public school one, and um, Museo Rafino Tamaya, and the Liverpool Biennial, as well as non-art spaces, such as roller skating rinks, elementary schools, sports bars, and ferries. I want to. Know, which ferry system was that?
3: Um, it was a boat in Liverpool.
0: Okay. Well, that's a that's a a note for all the ferry systems. I was thinking of some other ones. I know near where uh, Evergreen State College is, where uh, much of this was born. I'm hoping that those uh, venues are considered more broadly. I just love the sound of. Well, as I continue with the introduction, uh, Astria. As the director of Carnegie Mellon's Miller Gallery, she curated Keep It Slick, Infiltrating Capitalism with the Yes Men, and Whatever It Takes, Steelers Fan Collections, Rituals, and Obsessions. Her formal education includes film studies at the New School for Social Research in New York City, film production at School of the Art Institute of Chicago, Bachelor of Fine Arts Yearned at the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, and museum studies at Syracuse University New York. Assisting Astria is C.C. Moss, who unfortunately was not available for today's interview. Austria Suprake comes to us today from L.A. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Astria. Um, thank you for having me, audience. Well, I, I have to start with, I have to ask, how did Dan Cameron, the, the main curator at ACMA, how did he find you, and what was your first reaction to being approached by a guy from a museum whose zip code finances all political campaigns retro? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, well, Dan Cameron uh,
3: first saw Alien She where we premiered it at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. He was in town to check out the Pittsburgh um, inter- the International at Carnegie Museum, which was down the block, and uh, came over and saw the Alien She exhibition. And uh, kept in touch with me um, after he came home to California. Um, and we're so pleased to bring the exhibition here and couldn't have done it without Dan. And um, a funny thing is that I actually saw a lot of Dan's shows when he was at the New Museum when I was a college student um, studying art uh, at Pratt. And so there's a nice, like, kind of relationship or return there.
0: And the takeaway for especially uh, the young, the proto employees, the students listening is 85, I'm going to increase it, more than 85% of life is showing up that where Astria was and she was enterprising as an undergrad and Dan Cameron is very enterprising with his travel log. He picks up a lot with his travel and look what he did to uh, make this introduction to see Alien She there at Carnegie Mellon. So that is really great. So I'd like to find Astria, whom are you trying to reach with Alien She? Some of us track this movement, some of us miss the 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 Riot Girl movement, some of us have not yet looked up from our screens to know that movements out there matter to us. So who are you trying to hit here?
3: Anyone with an interest in um, politics, music, art, design, um, film. I mean, there's a, you know, a wide range of media as well as topics that are covered in the exhibition.
0: Okay. Well, so for those who aren't as attuned as um, you, and I'd like for you to trace how the movement moved from Evergreen State College, that's in Olympia, the the bottom of Puget Sound, south of Seattle. Trace how that movement went from Evergreen State to all over the world, mostly, well, north, no, it's all over the world, not just North America, and then how you tapped into this movement.
3: Sure. Um, well, Riot Curl was started as by a small group of friends and by a small group of who are young women in both Washington, D.C. and Olympia, Washington. Um, And it was formed in reaction to the sexism and the violence in the punk music scene at the time and as as well as in the culture at large. And they started having meetings, um, forming bands, writing zines to um, communicate their uh, their ideas and opinions and... um, and that spread to more people. Like you know, the, the meetings would grow. Other other groups would um, also meet in different cities. And both Cece, my um, co-curator, and I were involved with Riot Girl chapters. In she was in the Bay Area in the 90s as a teenager, and I was in Los Angeles. Um, and the chapters have continued to grow. Um, and you know, as as you had mentioned, we've been able to tra- track track girl chapters internationally since 1991, and we've found chapters in 24 countries. With recent um, chapters opening in places like Malaysia and Germany and Turkey, and with third or fourth generations of chapters opening in cities like Los Angeles and New York and Detroit.
0: And for we'll hop uh, out uh, down to the the program. I was going to mention all kinds of resources, but while you mention that, you can everybody can follow that. Those locations by going to the chapters map on, and I can include that in the summary too. Riotgirlcensus.tumblr.com. So oh, uh, that's
3: actually a separate, um, separate online oh. collaborative project. But okay. For the map, for the map, the URL is so bitly. L-Y slash capital R G for Riot Girl, and then lowercase map. R G map. Um, and yes. If anyone was involved with the chapter or is in a chapter now, please do check that map and make sure we've got your details right. You know, the, the, the duration of the chapter's existence, uh, where you used to meet. Um, if you have a website, some of these later chapters um, have Tumblr's and Facebook pages. I hope Whereas, that. Yes. Um, excuse me. Oh, just whereas um, in the early 90s, early and mid-'90s uh, when I was involved, of course, we
0: didn't use internet. <laughs> uh, we've got, as I said, seven artists that are represented here. They're, uh, it's a hyper, I, I see it as a hyper-local do-it-yourself, but there, yet there's a larger reach of empowerment. I, I want to sort of say there's a kind of cycle, a so social- piece here i think when human beings find themselves in a tight bind uh, or an awkward situation it's just so liberating or it's just plain healthy i think if if they see themselves in the middle of a performance art piece tilting toward the creative and coming out of the situation feeling more affirmed and more empowered and happier it's just there there's really a, a level which this really opens up the affirming side of the creative process do these seem, artists, to you, seem to be better off because they figured out ways to address creatively the absurdities and ironies in our society and life in general?
3: Uh, sure. <laughs> um, I think probably a lot of people who are creative producers I come to that come to those realizations or those, those ways of expressing themselves is, is probably liberating.
0: <laughs> liberating and, and so healthy. I, 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 there was a situation I was faced with um, presented by a young lady last Friday and it was she wasn't involved with the creative process but it was an absurd and an ironic situation and I and I finally told her I said you ought to this is before I went to your show on Sunday Friday I said well why don't you just consider engaging with this bad social dynamic as a piece of performance art so she could step out of the the wrenching part, and and feel a, a more affirmed anyway. So that's what I was thinking of, and I I thought that the the artists that were at the Sunday opening at ACMA were really were they're in the top of their game. It was just delightful. Well, let's uh, there's some interesting things going on at the exhibit. We can start with Stephanie Sujukos. We're not going to be able to talk about every single artist, but she has a. a particular free text exhibit there it's and i i'm laughing it's alliterative with pretexts that's kind of a kick i'm uh i have to admit that in that and in her counterfeit project we all puzzle with the ambiguity well we're in a museum do we or don't we get to touch with the the free texts there are those um pull-off tabs for getting these um materials these um copywritten materials for free it's not clear what we can do with that exhibit um yes so the
3: project by stephanie Sico. um this particular piece is called free text and you can download um, a number of of critical texts um in an unsanctioned possibly illegal way (laughs) um and stephanie's work is um is is interested in how information and culture is shared. Um, So this one project is um, always a a popular piece that people can interact with. And, yes, I I, um, I see what you're saying about how it's unclear which things you can touch and which things you can't in an exhibition. In a lot of exhibitions, you can't touch everything. But this, this project is meant for taking. So, yes, people can tear off those tabs. For the texts that they're interested in, uh, which cover a range of topics, including um, like copy left movement, um, uh, appropriations, cultural appropriations, gentrification, and other topics.
0: And so, in her counterfeit project, where she's had she's had folks crochet the designer purses, she's put on that platform where they're uh, exhibited. Do not touch, and you can't tell if that's her installation or if that's Achma that's uh, saying, entreating people not to. So it's it's very unclear what what we're uh, allowed to do. So I'd like to move on to the there is
3: yes. Oh, I'll just I'll just say the full name of the title of of that project. It's the Counterfeit Crochet Project. Yes, and then in parentheses, critique of a political economy, Um, and there's a website that's part of that where anyone can. make their own craft knit crochet their own rip off of a luxury bag crochet and there's a table um, where we provide materials and some some um, patterns
0: for people to make their own so with crochet i'm sure there's a, a pun about hookers in there somewhere <laughs> you might be the first one to make it actually okay well thank you <clears throat> so then then there's the feminist art gallery as a very decentralized installation activity there's a fag uh wherever wherever we can look all over the country and by um they call it fagging it forward is to have these uh centers of do it yourself art creation from all uh, in locations all over the world. do you want to say anything about that verbiage and that process
3: um Specifically about Feminist Art Gallery, which is yes. an uh, acronym is FAG. Um, yeah, so that's a project by Allison Mitchell and Deirdre Logue. They're partners in Toronto and um, they, it's a gallery that they run out of the their garage. <laughs> um, and they don't they don't take any um, government money or grant money, so they don't ha- have they don't, you know, have to um, alter their uh, vision in any way. And they, they've done amazing events um, from potlucks to readings to screenings to um, get-togethers and uh, I've seen some pole dancing and other things. <laughs> and you can, yes. you can get a sense of the variety of their activities through the slideshow that's in the exhibition
0: Yes, it's uh, that's rolls there right uh, in that particular gallery at Acma, and then there's the matronage. Tell us what the matronage uh, is about, because it's ver- new verbiage to learn at this exhibit, and they also talked about that at the Feminist Art Gallery.
3: Oh, that the um, the fundraising is through. I think well, I'm not quite sure. Um, I haven't heard them typically talk about this. Okay, well
0: that's there. That, think- we'll take you off the hook there. For those of you oh. whom have joined us, my guest is Astrid Suparek, co-curator of the Orange County Museum of Art exhibition entitled "Alien She." here on Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming in galleries all around the world and in uh, FAGS, uh, that's Feminist Art Galleries, uh, on the web at KUCI.org. The exhibit opened last weekend and will continue through May 24th. So uh, I don't know if you, I I didn't mean to leave you uh, mid-sentence, I'm sorry. Uh, You had to cap the Feminist Art Gallery apart. Oh
3: yeah, so um, uh, the the matronage as opposed to the patronage. Yes, of <laughs> course. And the funding more of funding. Um, of culture.
0: Well, and then I think it's this group that is going to be setting up uh, in West Hollywood just before thanks or before Halloween. It's the Killjoy Castle, so that's that's a part of their project. Do you have any more details now, or we're going to we'll post yes. them later.
3: For the Lesbian Feminist Haunted House that Alison Mitchell is putting on, that is part of a residency at the One Lesbian Gay Archives, and that will be happening this fall. Um, and you should check it out. Everyone is going to be in the area. Um, I, I saw the version that was in Toronto last, um, last Halloween, and it was amazing. It's, it's a to-not-miss
0: event. I plan on. Is it more than one day? Do we have a couple of tries at it?
3: You know, I think it'll be up for a little while, but usually there's a lot of performers involved, so there might be just a few days with all the performers. But I'm sure um, one archives will have all that information when they're ready.
0: Well, I want to do a quick rundown. It's not doing uh, any kind of justice to the the artists, but I want people to I want to acknowledge them. There's Ginger Brooks, Takahashi, Tammy Ray Carland, and Miranda July faith levine and faith levine was there at the very ground uh the, the very beginning of all of this at evergreen state college allison mitchell at, with her sasquatches uh that's that's a they're amazing and then ladies sasquatches lady, oh <laughs> ladies sasquatches and uh then there is the um L I'm, lr i'm I've got LJ, her, Roberts. LJ Roberts, Stephanie, we've talked about her, Sujukal, and then uh, various so. uh, other artists. Yes, there are a litany of activities that the people can take part in at ACMA. And I want to just remind people that it's uh, in Newport Beach at 850 San Clemente Drive, Newport Beach, and uh, and what other links do you want to make sure people have? And we'll just mention some of the topics, events, as you give us those links that people can follow.
3: Sure. Um, well, as as we had mentioned, the Riot Girl Chapters Map, which is bitly slash capital RG lowercase Map, and then the Riot Girl Census dot um, com, and that's where anyone can contribute their experiences of. Um, of Riot Grrrl and how it's influenced what they're doing today and where they're at. So we've received, um, submissions recently from Mexico and oh. England and, um, New Zealand. And, um, it's really great to see like all these, you know, personal, personal stories.
0: I'm going to pretend that there's people that are streaming this show live. or going to hear the podcast, uh, somewhere outside of this region. Where will Alien Girl? um, where will be, where will it go? Alien. The her, exhibition
3: she. Alien. Yeah, the exhibition Alien. She. It was. It, it has been in Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, um, in San Francisco. It'll be in Orange County through May twenty fourth. Right. Um, and then it will go up to Portland at Pacific Northwest College of Arts, uh, Feldman Gallery, as well as the Museum of Contemporary Craft there, and that'll be part of the Time Based Arts Festival that. Portland Institute of Contemporary Art
0: runs So there's, <laughs> there's a lot of organizations there. <laughs> oh yes, of course, of course. And it's sort of like getting it closer back to where some of this all began. There's a, a the Fanatic, fanatic Zine night. Uh, it's on April seventeenth. It's a Friday. It's a free admission day, but fanatic, fa- yeah. Okay. See, you know, that's uh, this. Uh, I, everything's turned on its head, and I had to pronounce everything differently. So that in the evening on Friday, and then there's a even though it's free, folks, there's always a donation accepted, and the, the legendary Zine artists and scholars in conversation that will be there holding court and all of that. And uh, zine. I, I it's, sorry, it, it's the it's zine, like
3: like like a magazine, except they're um, fanzines.
0: <laughs> right, right. I, and I, I I, just do date myself on a regular basis. So I just wanted to say, since I don't think you were there on hand, and I've got to really wrap up the show fast, I was in on a conversation among some artists, an ACMA docent, and a public school teacher. It was not clear what the call would be concerning school tours. So the more that I thought about it, the more I see the importance of breaking through to those impressionable, validation-seeking, undernourished minds. Any experience, Austria with um, that at other venues for Alien Chi?
3: Yeah, well, there, um, we've always seen lots of children at the exhibition. Um, a lot of parents bring their children and are... You know, we are really glad to be able to show their children what they were involved with, if they were involved with this movement or this music, or you know, are happy to show the, their their children work and uh, you know, a movement that was begun by teenagers, and that I think that's really important as well. That Riot Girl was begun by teenagers and early and women in their early twenties, yeah. and from that energy and um those you know the issues that are are, are are sorry i'm stumbling a bit but the, those issues that are most important to them and that's- um yes there will be curse words there is some explicit sexuality but um it is something that a lot of um teenagers and, and children can relate to well
0: now you don't mean the sasquatch ladies though that's not the explicit sexuality it's an, it's anatomical. But uh, Allison made a great uh, and I'm running over Zoe. I hope that's OK. Um, the, uh, she made a case where the, this isn't so much sexuality so much as it's uh, it's vivid. It's maybe it's suggested, but it's really it's quite, uh, you know, benign. Mm-hmm. Not. I don't, I'm not yeah. saying benign in terms of that, the take away the political commentary of that. But it, it's mo- it's an artistic piece, not so much a political piece. In, in the, in the lady Calling up the well, biology and of call, uh, mandrills, calling up the uh, George O'Keefe, it's all sort of all stacked mm-hmm. up there. That's what I'm thinking. Not so political, but very, um, uh, very graphic in in a in an artistic graphic way.
3: <laughs> um,
0: hopefully, your that description of yours will uh, intrigue some people to see it for themselves. <laughs> exactly. So, well, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today, Astria Suparak, curator of the Orange County Museum of Art exhibition entitled Alien Chi. You can follow her enterprising ways on her own website, www.astriasuparak.com. That's dot kcom And I want to thank you for being on the show and look forward to seeing you at some of those events that are forthcoming. And we'll have a good time. I hope the docents make a good case to the the educator so that the kiddies get a mindful of it. (laughs) Thank you, Claudia. Okay, thank you so much. You take good care. You too. So we are going to...
1: Yeah,
0: turn up the volume. That's Pylon. They were, they sort of predated the uh, the movement, but I thought their spirit is embodied in what was carried on a little bit later. So, this brings the show to the close. Next week, we'll hear from Dr. Stanley Terman, who will return to the show with the loaded topic of end-of-life choices, tied up with the Senate Bill 128, under consideration in California's legislature. Then on to Lighter Fair, the Assistance League Thrift Store, the only thrift store in our city of only 250,000. Kind of interesting. Don't tell the ladies that about uh, this interview with uh, Diana Kavanaugh and Jamie Tahiri c- because they want to make it a surprise for the local cadre of volunteers that keep on going there. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone.